hello and welcome everyone to this uh, wonderful worship service and to this Christmas season. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in history. Now, does that sound like an exaggeration to you? Does that sound like something a preacher would say around Christmas time? Maybe so, but it is absolutely true. You see, no one has impacted this world more positively than Jesus Christ. There have been more schools, more educational institutions, more hospitals and medical centers, more homes for the elderly, more missions to help the hungry and the hurting and hopeless people of the world founded in the name of Jesus Christ than in anyone else's name or cause. Art, music, and literature have been greatly enhanced because of the life, the teaching, and the influence of Jesus Christ. And so this season, we celebrate his birth, the coming of Jesus into the world. But more important to me, more impressive to me, in fact, than all of those things I just cited are the multiplicities of millions of lives that have been completely transformed by Jesus. They've been moved from despair to hope, from death to life, from hopelessness to a great sense of hope about the future. Now, because all of that is true, I'm especially excited today as we begin a brand new series that is really all about Jesus. We launch today into Luke's gospel. You know, in over 24 years now at Grace, we have taught hundreds of sermons, preached hundreds of messages from the gospels. But I've never, interestingly enough, preached a whole series through an entire gospel. That's what we begin today. In fact, today, I wouldn't recommend this uh, to any young preachers out there, but we're going to look at virtually an entire chapter in the Bible. Because it's more scripture than usual, I'm going to have to limit my comments a lot. We're just going to kind of let the Word of God speak for itself. But in the coming weeks, we're going to take these in more bite-sized chunks as we unpack them and talk about the life, the influence, the purpose and the meaning of Jesus Christ in his life. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Rex, I think we need a series on marriage. I think we need a series on finances and how to handle money. Or I'll tell you what I really need. I need some insight on relationships. They're driving me crazy. We need some input on our parenting, Pastor, because that's the challenge that I face every day. Somebody else says, you know, it's the workplace that's eating me up. I need to know how to approach work and how to get along with my coworkers and how I can keep motivated even when my job isn't necessarily inspiring. Others may say, we need help with goal setting and priorities and how to just think about the future. Well, guess what? All of those topics and many, many more are going to be covered in this series. As we look verse by verse through Luke's gospel, I think God's going to blow us away 
with all of the life change and all of the insights that he brings. So I invite you to join us for this journey. Get excited about it like I am, and we launch into it this very day. You see, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, said what was going to happen. He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, Isaiah said. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But hundreds of years went by with no fulfillment of that. And now there had been 400 years of silence. No vision, no inspired prophet. But suddenly God broke into the hopelessness of people's lives when many were beginning to give up that it would ever happen and that God's promise would ever be fulfilled, God broke in, as we're going to see today in Luke chapter 1, and sent a very special message through the angel Gabriel. If you have your Bible, just open it up there to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 5 today. Now, we'll go back in some of the coming messages and look at this very interesting prologue of Luke. Uh, But today, let's launch in at verse 5 as we look at Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now that's interesting. Two righteous people both come from families with priests. So they have that in their heritage. Verse 6, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were not chosen because they were so good. We need to be clear about that. God uses whom he chooses, and he chooses people that have flaws of one kind or another. Now, they happen to be outstanding in their character, and that's awesome, but God made the choice to use them in his plan. The Old Testament scriptures had predicted that Elijah would come and precede the coming of the Messiah. Jesus made it clear later that that was a figurative prophecy, And that there would be one like Elijah who would come in the power and the spirit of Elijah and would fulfill that prophecy. And that's what's about to happen here. By the way, Orthodox Jewish people, even to this day, at their Passover meals, leave an open chair there as they celebrate the Passover meal. They leave an open chair for Elijah to come and visit, still believing that he will come with the Messiah right behind him. Verse 7 says, They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. I wish we knew how old they were. But it says they were well along in years. My hunch is that we view old age differently than they did. I think today 70 is the new 60. And 85 is the new 70. You know what I mean? And so when you get beyond 60, here's what I think. 
old age is at least 10 years beyond where you are right now, okay? Let's just be clear about that. Old age is at least 10 years out there beyond where you are. But they had no children. They were barren, and they were well along in years. And I imagine that that must have been heartbreaking. But God was about to break in and visit them in a dramatic way. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. By the way, let me just put a footnote here. As a part of this division of Abijah, he would serve two times a year. Once in the summer for a week, once in the winter season for a week. And then along with the other priests, he would serve at three special festivals. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, and the Feast of of Pentecost, okay? So that's what is going here. That's what his priestly life would look like and his duties. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, what does that mean? In addition to their normal duties as priests, they had a system. It was kind of like what we would call a lottery today where they just kind of cast lots or we might say they drew straws to see who would have the privilege, and it was a privilege, of going into this holy place and burning incense. That was such an enormous privilege. It was a one-and-done deal. You could only do that once in your life as a priest. What an honor. You would get to serve that way, but you could never be eligible again to do that. Well, guess what? Zechariah was chosen, verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. You see, they prayed outside because family, friends, uh, relatives would be out there because there was this sense of both anticipation of what might happen, but also this kind of sense of fearful reverence. Because nobody in their right mind would approach the holy of holies. Nobody would approach this holy place of worship without a little bit of fear and trembling. And so they would wait out there because there was a lot of speculation that maybe an angel would appear. Maybe a vision would be received. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, if you study angels in the Bible, you'll find they appear in different forms. Sometimes they seem human in their appearance. Other times it's obvious that they're far more than human. They are there in spectacular power. Well, on this occasion, it's certainly clear to Zechariah that he's dealing here with a supernatural being, and he reacts the way everybody else in Scripture reacts when they encounter that sort of supernatural power. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. Now that announcement must have taken his breath away. I read about a 63-year-old woman to win who went in to see a doctor. He happened to be a really kind of young doctor, and he consulted with her for a while. And after a few minutes, 
This 63-year-old woman came screaming out of his office at the top of her lungs, just yelling out in the hallway. And an older doctor approached her who happened to know a few things about her. He talked with her for a while. And then he went back and confronted the younger doctor. He said, Mrs. Terry, she's 63 years old. She's got four grown children and seven grandchildren. And you tell her she's pregnant. The young doctor, just smiling smugly, says, sure cured her hiccups, though. (laughs) Man, I tell you, if Zechariah had hiccups, they were cured, man. He must have been scared out of his mind, dumbfounded. And in verse 14, the angel went on to say, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And by the way, let me add a footnote here. Oh, there's so much I want to say. But we've just got to kind of let the scripture speak for itself. Jesus later said, as recorded in Matthew 11, verse 11, of all those born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And so, indeed, what the angel predicted here really came true. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. You see, that's the fulfillment of that prophecy from the Old Testament. Not literally Elijah, but someone in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. That was John the baptizer. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is... Well along in years. See, she'd coached him not to say she was old, all right? So she's well along in years, he says. You know, it's human nature to doubt the supernatural, isn't it? We want proof. And here's Zechariah's face to face with an angel who gives him this promise. And he says, look, this doesn't seem possible. We're too old for this. This is just not logical. How can I be sure? But aren't you and I like that as well? I mean, really. I say, oh, Lord, I know you said that you're going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love you. But you know what, Lord? I'm just not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it in my life. And we're so quick to doubt the promise of God, especially when everything is looking a bit bleak. Verse 19 reads, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, if you do a study of angels in the scriptures, and boy, it's a provocative study if you choose to do it. That'd be a great study for a small group, I think. What you'll find is there's really only three angels named by name in scripture. Lucifer, 
is one of them, the fallen angel, also called the devil or Satan, many other names. But believe it or not, the only two other angelic beings that are named by name, although there are many, thousands of thousands and ten thousands of tens of thousands, according to the book of Revelation, but there are only two others named Gabriel and Michael. Very interesting. But Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign that will be a reminder, not only of this promise, but also a sign of chastisement because of his lack of faith. Verse 20. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. You know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'll tell you, I don't know if there's ever a convenient time to lose your voice and get a bad case of laryngitis, but man, this wouldn't be the time you'd want that. You got all these exciting things going on. This prophecy from the angel is about to be fulfilled. And man, there's going to be so many things to talk about. But all Zechariah is able to do from now for the next nine months is just kind of play a game of charades with people. Motion and gesticulate. But he, he cannot speak and he can write some things down to try to communicate. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, so he's mute. He cannot, he cannot make any sounds. He cannot voice words. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Oh, I'd love a video of that. So many places in the Bible. But can't you see him trying to answer their questions but being unable? Or what about Elizabeth herself? Because this really is about what was about to happen in and through her. I mean, did he, did he go like this to try to indicate you're going to be pregnant, babe, you know? And hope that she could get the message? Both of them were absolutely astonished and yet overjoyed at what the angel had said. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. I wonder why seclusion. Most of us who'd had an angelic visit, man, we'd have done the talk show circuit, don't you think? Steve Harvey, Dr. Phil, 60 Minutes, I mean, we would have just lined them up, man to tell about all the glorious things and get the spotlight on us. But Elizabeth is so incredibly humble about all of this. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And now Luke, the human author of this material, Luke, like a brilliant script writer, Luke, like a brilliant filmmaker, cuts from that scene sharply to another scene. And he kind of keeps us hanging there. It's kind of a cliffhanger. We want to know how that story worked out. But he cuts to another story here and talks about Gabriel's announcement to Mary. Gabriel announced to her, boy, Gabriel's getting his work in here. 
that she is going to give birth to the Messiah, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now think about this. Both of these women are going to experience supernatural births, but there's a lot of contrast. Elizabeth is older. Mary is younger, most believe just a teenager. Elizabeth is married to Zechariah. Mary is betrothed. That's like a more serious form of engagement in our culture. It really was a binding commitment when you were betrothed. It was the closest thing to marriage without being there that you can have, but it didn't involve physical intimacy. So she was betrothed to Joseph, and yet she was a virgin. Now, please understand, dear friends, that the teaching of the virgin birth is a pivotal and crucial teaching in the Christian faith. Jesus was certainly tempted as we are, but he did not inherit a sin nature. He did not have a human father. And the prophet Isaiah had actually talked about that as well. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah prophesied, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What do you think about the virgin birth? Patrick Campbell, a few years ago, in a book called The Mythical Jesus, reports on a Harris poll of over 7,000 preachers scattered around the United States. And Patrick Campbell reported that 19% of Lutheran ministers don't believe in the virgin birth. 34% of American Baptists, 44% of Episcopalians, 49% of Presbyterians, and a full 60% of United Methodist ministers surveyed said they did not believe in the virgin birth. By the contrast, this same Harris poll a poll of randomly selected adults found that 91% of Christians who sit in the pew do believe in the virgin birth. Now, i got a question for you. Is it because the ministers have intellectual superiority or intellectual pride bred by liberal seminary teaching? I've often said, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible... Honestly, friend, you shouldn't have much trouble with any other miracle. If you can believe that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, oh my goodness, any other miracle mentioned in Scripture is a piece of cake compared to that. God is so powerful, nothing is going to limit him. The angel went to her and said, Verse 28 here, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Of course, we know that in Latin as Ave Maria. Greetings, Mary. And that classic song, Ave Maria, so popular to so many millions, comes from, the title comes from that greeting. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. 
Yeshua, means Savior. That said something about his very purpose. Names are so important in the Bible. He is the one who will come as a Messiah with a mission to save his people from their sins. And in verse 32, the angel predicts what Jesus will be and do. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What strong words. And yet, here we are some 2,000 years later, and the church still flourishes and thrives. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Kind of interesting, isn't it? The first person to question the virgin birth, naturally, was Mary. She knew she hadn't been intimate with anybody. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of of God. Today, we know that doctors can artificially, it's a common practice, artificially inseminate a woman and she can become pregnant, conceive, give birth. But here, the one who created the doctors, the one who created, they had the whole idea of the birth process, performed a miracle in the womb of Mary and she conceived. I can't explain that, but it is just indicative of the incredible power of God. And Mary didn't ask for a sign to confirm the promise, but God gave her a sign anyway. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing, one of my favorite verses in all of the scripture, for nothing is impossible with God. Hey, can I just speak to your heart for a moment? Some years ago, a man, a wonderful Christian leader named J.B. Phillips wrote a little book that I love. It's called Your God is Too Small. Great title. Your God is Too Small. And I just want to say to you, if as, as you read God's word and you hear about miraculous things and God intervening in space and time and performing miracles, you hear about a virgin birth, if that just seems too bizarre, too impossible for you, it's not because the miracle is too great. It's because your view of God is just too small. And my prayer for you this Christmas season would be that God would give you a robust and accurate view of his nature and his power and who he really is and that you would invite him in. Invite him in. Let him come into your life. Let him come into your family. Let him come into your front door and just take residence in your home. Oh, he can do wonders because he is not too small and his arm is not too short to save. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You know, there may be some people in the world who worship Mary and who give her a level of adoration that really she doesn't deserve. But I would suggest to you on the opposite end of that spectrum, there are some of us who know she's not worthy of worship, but oh, she is worthy of admiration, friend. 
What a humble servant of God and so highly favored. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I just want to say a word here about pregnant women. Have you ever noticed pregnant women and how they tend to congregate and talk? I was at the YMCA the other day, and I just, just noticed a couple of pregnant women. They were clearly pregnant. By the way, never walk up to a woman and say, are you pregnant, okay? Just, just don't do that because it is possible that you could be wrong, okay? So, and don't, if they say no, don't say, are you sure? To please don't say that, okay? But these women were talking, and I noticed they were talking, and they talked, and I came by later to get a drink of water, 10 minutes later, and they were still right in the same place talking. You, so, you see, pregnancy, I've noticed, draws women together, and they've got all these questions. Well, well how, how much sickness have you been dealing with? Or have you, have you felt your baby move yet? And when are you due? And it, how, how much different is this than you thought it was going to be? And at that time, women don't need men talking to them. Some man will walk by and go, better have that kid before December 31. It's a big tax write-off, I'll tell you right now. They don't need that. They need each other. And God gave Mary in Elizabeth someone she could resonate with, someone who could understand. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? John the Baptist's whole mission was to excitedly prepare the way and announce the coming of the Messiah. And here... Three months before he's born, he's already doing it. He's doing it literally. He's fulfilling his purpose and his ministry even in the womb. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And that excitement was exactly what Mary needed to hear at this time. God gave her in Elizabeth an understanding soul. And now Mary burst forth with her own song. It's an awesome one. Lots of music has been inspired by this. Whole cantatas have been written about Mary's magnificent here as it is in Latin. But in Greek, it literally means Mary glorifies. It's the Greek word doxa for glory. Mary glorifies. So, so I would invite you to think, the NIV heading just puts Mary's song. That's a little bit underplayed because she's really glorifying God here and exalting God. Him. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. By the way, let me just give you a little forewarning. This whole idea of the poor being exalted and the rich having a challenge that comes with those riches is a consistent theme throughout the gospel. And here we kind of get it for the first time in Mary's song. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, it doesn't say it here, but I tend to believe that Mary actually stayed until John, Elizabeth's baby, was born. She had probably seen babies born before. Almost all babies were born in the home in those days. She had certainly been a part of that in some way or another, hearing all the sounds, seeing certain things and so on. And, but I believe she's now observant on a whole new level because she knows that soon she's going to be returning to Nazareth and that in a matter of months she's going to start showing and people are not going to understand. And now... Let's wrap up by looking at a few verses here that talk about the birth of John the Baptist. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Now, it's just so exciting. There's a few things in the world more exciting than the birth of a baby. But there's only one problem. Zechariah still can't talk. I mean, he probably figured as soon as the baby's born, suddenly I'll be able to speak again. But the baby's born, and he still can't say a word. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no. He's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name? Then they made signs to his father. This cracks me up. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. That is a funny verse because while Zechariah couldn't speak, he could hear just fine. Why are they making signs to him? Just talk. Just talk. But that happens when you have laryngitis. People uh, start making signs at you and you're like, you know, you want to just talk. I can hear great. And yet they're making these signs here. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. Asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. Now friends, as we close today, I believe there's one personal and powerful message that we ought to take away from this lesson.
And it's the same message, really, that God wanted Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary to get. Do not fear. No matter what kind of stresses, no matter what kind of challenges you're facing, no matter how difficult this season is for you, do not fear because God is with you and he's still going to fulfill his purpose through your life. This week, I looked through a concordance, an old-time concordance in my library, and I wanted to see how many times certain phrases appeared. For instance, do not fear. I found about at least 34 clear examples of where that particular wording appears. And then I looked up the whole idea of do not be afraid, a little bit different. Same idea, do not fear, but... A little different, do not be afraid. I found about 78 of those. One example of that phrase would be Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then I looked up 19 times where the Bible says be of good courage or be courageous. 19 times I found. And a good example of that would be Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then finally, 14 times I found, there could be more, but I found where it says do not worry. 14 times. Or do not be anxious. Like Jesus in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, here's the point. All these verses, do not fear, do not be afraid, be courageous, don't worry. In all these, there's one reason the Bible consistently gives why we don't have to be anxious and afraid. You know what it is? consistently, Old and New Testament, the reason you don't have to be afraid, the reason you don't have to worry, the reason you can be courageous is one thing, because God is with you. And that's what Christmas is all about. Some of you may be saying, but pastor, I don't think I can hang on any longer. The burden is so great. Ralph Sockman tells about taking his four-year-old to New York City for the first time. It was a busy street and pretty dangerous. And he said to his little son, his little four-year-old, look, son, I want you to really hold on to daddy's hand. And he said for several blocks, his little son held on to his dad's forefinger as they walked along. But then the little guy said, daddy, I'm getting tired. I don't think I can hold on any longer. Dad? You're going to have to hold on to me. And if in this season of frenetic holiday activity, if in this season of personal family challenges and turmoil, if in this season of financial questions in your life, you feel like you can't hold on, listen, your father is going to hold on to you. Christmas is all about God with us. That's what Jesus came to show. Father, thank you for your amazing love and that even when we feel like we can't hold on any longer, you're gonna hold on to us. Thank you that you moved into our neighborhood so that our lives could be saved 
and changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen.